Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. I hope you're uh, bearing up over this uh, increasingly long period that we're going through now. It seems interminable. Uh, but I'm delighted that today uh, I've got with me one of our most popular YouTube commentators, Maya Tusi. Hello there, Maya. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, well, I just referred to the lockdown there. How, how, are, you, uh, how are you taking it? Well, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster because uh, I live on my own and uh, I, I haven't had anyone around me for weeks. And, uh, but I've been busy, I've been trying to keep busy with the YouTube work and uh, I live right next to Hyde Park, so I go for walks. Otherwise, it's been quite lonely. <laughs> yeah, no, I say I live on my own too, but you, you live next, I saw that you, uh, what, your last video that you did, you were walking through Hyde Park actually, weren't you? Uh, yeah. And I just wondered, um, that was actually about, well, you had just a bit of a run in with Piers Morgan, hadn't you? Can you, can you sort of tell us about that? Yeah, um, it's happened a couple of times. Uh, so yesterday morning, uh, essentially, uh, on Twitter, uh, I, um, I retweeted the, the video of Emily, um, Emily Matis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Uh, on Newsnight, uh, when she showed her personal bias as a BBC presenter and attack Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings. Uh, so I just tweeted the video and Piers Morgan does his usual tactics. So when he sees a tweet and he saw my video of uh, Emily Matis, that uh, he, instead of replying to the tweet, he just uh, quote retweets the actual thing so his followers could see it. Yeah. And then leaves it there for his uh, minions to attack everybody. So that happened. And then obviously I replied and then it got worse. And uh, so I challenged him to come on my show and uh, he refused. That didn't happen. Uh, so I made a video about him, and uh, there, there could be a possibility of me going on Good Morning Britain. You never know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm more than happy to debate him if you want, so I can educate him. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying about uh, Emily Maitlis? I mean, I when I watched it, uh, it's happened before, uh, but when I watched it, it was so blatant. I thought I should explain to people that this is on on Newsnight, and uh, Emily Maitlis sort of did a kind of preamble at the beginning, which was just completely, uh, wasn't it, uh, you know, her personal view almost, I thought. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Newsnight is a flagship news programme uh, for the BBC. It's not like a, uh, like a different, so like a talk show like yeah. This Week with Andrew Neil. Andrew Neil on This Week, that was a talk show. And uh, sometimes he, you know, expressed opinions. That was allowed to an extent. And uh, even then he was trying to be objective with his views. Uh, but Newsnight are supposed to be just reporting and analysing the news and let the guests debate. Yeah. Uh, so she decided to go personal and actually decide that uh, it's trial by media. She decided that Dominic Cummings broke the rules, yeah. even though he didn't. Yes. Uh, and that was the problem with that. Yeah. You do a video pretty much every day or more than one, don't you? So I do uh, I have two videos a day. Uh, I have a 5.45 p.m. news show where I just kind of sit down here in my studio and talk about stuff. And then uh, at 8 p.m. every night, uh, I also upload a daily vlog where I just uh, go through kind of my life. Uh, and it's, it's a more of an informal format. Yeah. And uh, I also talk about politics uh, in, in, in that segment. Yeah, yeah. Um, when did you start your channel? Yeah, I think it was the uh, beginning of uh, 2018, uh, but it was more of a hobby and uh, I was just uploading you know, a video every couple of weeks and it came into like once a week, And uh, but it was uh, primarily in 2019 and with the 
uh, the, the rise of kind of concerns that with Brexit was it was it going to happen or not? And then when the Theresa May failed to deliver Brexit, uh, that was when I went kind of full time. Yeah. And uh, that that was when my channel kicked off completely. <laughs> right, yeah. From the from the feedback you get, I mean, who are your who are your viewers generally, or are they right across the board? Yeah, generally uh, they are. Um, there's a lot of conservatives. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of uh, um, obviously Brexiteers, but Brexiteers could be, you know, uh, liberal, could be nationalist, could be conservative, could be whatever. Uh, there, I actually have some um, traditional, old school. Uh, center-left uh, uh, people as well who um, they're not really voting Labour anymore but yeah. um, they, they used to you know yeah. they might have voted for Atlee yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's a bit of a mix obviously and uh, yeah there's a lot of Tories but uh, what I've discovered is that primarily they are just ordinary people who, who weren't even political mm. uh, in that sense until recently until the last couple of years yeah. few years yeah. uh, with Brexit and everything and when they realize establishment are becoming difficult so they got involved and now they're expressing their views. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel the media is going to, the mainstream media, should I say, how do you think they're going to come out of, I mean, I think I know how they came out of Brexit. At least I, I know how I, how I feel. But with this COVID thing, um, how do you think it's been? How do you think they will emerge from it? The problem is, I think they'll just about survive, but in a sense that they've already been down over the last uh, couple of years, uh, the, the trust and credibility is completely gone. Yeah. And you look at the, the viewership and the ratings uh, for Sky News, for ITV's Good Morning Britain, all these shows, uh, I've been recently comparing them to my stats. Obviously, it's not really comparable, but I, I generally get more views than Sky News at this point. Uh, but that, you know, doesn't necessarily, as I say, it's not comparable because YouTube is going vast, but it proves a point that uh, for a, a channel that is supposed to be, you know, nationwide, everybody has, you know, generally speaking, Sky News on their TV, uh, but they're not really watching anymore. Yeah. And uh, so they're not going to be more damaged because they are already damaged. Mm -hmm. So after this pandemic and everything, um, the, the rise of podcasts, independent blogs, YouTube channels um, is here to stay. And uh, the media revolution has already begun. Mm. It's, it's going slowly. It, 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 I'll give it, you know, five years max. And then, uh, you know, again, bloggers and uh, podcast uh, kind of makers, they, they will be the main people to go to. Uh, President Trump is going to be signing an executive order, apparently, to basically deal head on with this idea of censorship in social media, Google, YouTube, Twitter, these, these platforms. Have you ever experienced it yourself, Maya? Have you have you ever been shadow banned, or have you ever? Are you aware of anything happening to to your channel? Yes, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I sometimes have issues with YouTube when it comes to monetization and the ad the adverts. Yeah, uh, they have a very very sensitive uh, AI kind of automatic system where it it just decides if your video is controversial or not, yeah. and certain words are very sensitive, yeah. uh, but. Sometimes the system gets it out of takes it out of context. For example, you can't use the word "war" yeah. even if you say "I hate war," yeah, uh, yeah. or feminism, even if you say "I love feminism." Uh, so I, I've had issues like that, and every time I have to appeal uh, to YouTube, and they have to manually review it. Um, but generally speaking, um, they don't really come after like YouTube specifically. They don't really come after every single right winger they, they could find. They do go after you know 
But if, if you get really big and really controversial in their, in their view, then obviously they'll do it. But Twitter definitely is a uh, kind of vicious in that sense. Yes. And uh, they, they are, yeah, which is stupid because these platforms are supposed to be their, their job as a company is supposed to just provide the platform yeah. and then people just be there, express anything they want. As long as obviously they're not threatening anyone physically with violence, uh, then everybody should just decide what's being said, including President Trump tweeting something. Um, I wouldn't even say it's the job of Twitter as a company to do a fact checking mm. because there are Twitter's users, there are journalists on there. They can do the fact checking themselves yeah. and they could then tweet it out. So Twitter interfering in this sort of stuff is just idiotic. There's a confusion whether they're a platform or a publisher. This is the problem, really, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it does confuse. The same thing's happening with uh, YouTube because um, obviously they sell themselves as with just a platform. It's, it's the whole uh, Uber argument where Uber initially said that you know we're just an app and the drivers are independent. Uh, and then, on the other hand, they acted like a company and they're like employees, but they weren't giving them money. It was a bit weird. So it's a it, this is a problem with tech and uh, you know with new technology yeah. it takes some time uh, to be uh, for it to become a norm yes and, uh, but right now we're still going through the phase of these are new things that we have to get used to twitter uber youtube yes when you when it comes to the legacy media the broadcast legacy media uh and what you know you've already mentioned uh, earlier you know what you thought might happen but but where do you think if you were to go forward five or ten years you know what do you think the position will be? Will, will we still be on YouTube? Will you still be doing what you're doing on YouTube? Or will there be some other way in which, you know, another channel or, you know, people keep talking about a fox or something like that for Britain. But do you think that's possible? I, so far as I can see, Ofcom is a problem here, isn't it? That's what I was just going to say. Uh, the, the problem, fundamental problem is not necessarily the, the monopoly of a, uh, the outlets, the channels out there, like Channel 4 or ITV or any of this, it's, it's the concept of Ofcom that creates a yeah. problem. Um, because there's, I mean, we live in a you know, you know, society where we have a big government. You have to kind of get used to it. It's very kind of, you know, full of intervention. And so you can't really have a complete free society where uh, newspapers and the TV channels are completely free to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. There's usually some sort of a, a kind of oversight. But as, why can't they do it the way they do it with the press and newspapers? Because mm. the press and the newspapers are free to say whatever they want as long as they're not really attacking anyone. The moment they attack someone or something's libelous, then you know something happens. Whereas the, the broadcast, for some reason, Ofcom mm. is sensitive and it's all about impartiality. And that actually creates a problem because the BBC, for example, has to be forced to be impartial. Mm system the structure is there to be impartial mm. but the individuals are human and humans by nature are tribal you know let's just mm. say some of them on purpose some of them accidentally every now and then make a mistake and show their bias that's just normal so what i propose is to just do what we do with newspapers do the same thing with broadcast mm. uh, tv uh, have a left-wing tv have a right-wing tv and people can decide for themselves yeah i think at the moment uh, we're obviously we're operating on a different model, but the BBC seems to think at the moment that, you know, Emily Maitlis notwithstanding, that it's kind of had a pretty good crisis, if you want to put it that yeah. way. It, it, it's sort of seeing itself as being a binding force, isn't it? 
Well, they, 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 they had a massive influence. Um, mm. the, the, the lockdown that we're going through mm. is partly because of them. Yeah. The pressure that they created and uh, the government, uh, I think from what we've heard, Boris Johnson wasn't really keen to fully get into the kind of lockdown situation. He, you know, he had a different plan. Which that was the advice he got from his team. Mm. Uh, but then they realized there was a PR game as well. They were forced into doing things like this. So this is the, the influence that the media have had. Um, and uh, so in, in, in that regard, technically, they're winning mm. uh, because they are still the biggest influence. The general public are now so scared because of what the media have told them. They, they, you know, even if Boris says the lockdown's over, they're not leaving their houses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. And I said this uh, to uh, Piers Morgan, and I said, you claim that uh, Dominic Cummings' action driving in a car without infecting anybody costs lives. Yeah. In reality, it's your behavior as a, a broadcast kind of journalist yeah. that has cost lives because there are a lot of people who are so scared of leaving their homes, uh, cancer patients, people who needed treatment to go to the hospital yeah. because they thought they're not allowed to. And now, you know, they're facing issues. Uh, so this is the problem with the media that they do still have the influence, unfortunately. Do you think, uh, you, you mentioned at the top there that you, you know, you live alone, so you know you've pretty much kept yourself to yourself during this period, and I mean, as have we all in different ways. But you know, we do what we're meant to do, and all the rest of it. But do you think that uh, there should even have been a lockdown? Um, I actually don't really have a, a expert view on this because I, my, my view on this is that, and what I'm looking forward to is over the next six months to a year when they do international investigation into different countries and different cases to see which country did better. Yeah. Uh, but also, each country has different cultures and requirements. Uh, for example, in Sweden, they didn't need to introduce a full lockdown because uh, they generally obey Scandinavians. Mm. Uh, so they were already social distancing. They didn't do a full shutdown. Mm. Um, you, know, you could say that you know, you know, there was a time when the, the British culture was similar, you know, they were just, you know, They'll just be you know, nice and polite and just listen to the advice. But I don't think that's the case anymore with the, uh, the, the countries slightly changed over the last few decades. So there's a lot of uh, people from different cultures, different mentalities, because you've seen uh, the cases have been, like, been risen in certain working class uh, backgrounds with a lot of ethnic minorities uh, because they, they had to be forced by the government to stay at home. <laughs> Otherwise, they weren't listening. Um, so, in terms of the what I've heard from a number of scientists, they say that the lockdown generally isn't the main way to tackle the issue. Right. Um, there are other various ways to actually do this, including obviously testing, including uh, shielding the vulnerable places, uh, hospitals, and care homes. And uh, the people who say that uh, cases have gone down because of the lockdown, uh, in reality, uh, towards the end of March, the battleground. Completely changed anyway. The battleground and the hotspots were care homes and hospitals. Yeah, so the people that you know on the streets, especially like young and healthy people who go to the, yeah. their offices and everything, they've been under lockdown. And uh, according to the data that we already have, that the transmission towards the end of March wasn't even happening there anymore. Mm -hmm. Apart from you know, if, if someone had it as a carrier and then went to visit their grandparents at a care home, yeah, that was a problem. So we should have just shielded those places and you know just get on with your life. But yeah. that's where we are. You went along, didn't you, to uh, the rally in Hyde Park, which was a sort of, it, it was a, wasn't it a kind of civil liberties rally? Is that the way you would put it? What was your impression of it? Well, firstly, it was actually civilised. A lot of people thought it's going to be something like a group of thugs going around. 
Um, but it was a mixture of different groups. You had uh, libertarians, you had actual anarchists, you had uh, pro-free speech, pro-civil liberty campaigners, you had uh, just some ordinary people who were fed up and a few conservatives. And, um, you know, quite a big crowd. There's a kind of few hundred people there uh, uh, under a lockdown. Uh, and the, the police at that point, they were told not to, they're not allowed to arrest people based on social distancing. Mm. They had lost their power. Mm. But they still arrested a couple of people. Yes. Uh, no good reason. I'm sure, obviously, they excused probably like, you know, we're going to give you ASBO or something. But they, they didn't do anything. They were just shouting. They were like, you know, just expressing their views. Um, so it, it was a bit of a situation. I don't know if the police will answer any questions in that situation, but um, I don't know. There was one guy who looked like he'd been wrestled to the ground. I mean, it was on social media, you know, uh, very yeah. heavy handed. Yeah. And then because uh, I was there with uh, James Dellenpole from uh, Breitbart and uh, we were just obviously there to report as reporters. And uh, to be fair, there were probably more reporters uh, than uh, protesters again. <laughs> That's the irony of all these like uh, mainstream media journalists uh, criticizing, and then uh, they were like you know, right next to each other, and like it's hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but James and I were there, and uh, James Dellenpole was actually stopped by the police, yeah. um, and uh, they were asking him uh, to show his identity and uh, his press pass. And uh, yeah, I was like, he's he's part of the press; he's a key worker essentially. Yeah. Uh, but uh, even when they found out that he was, they still tried to cause trouble yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know if any of the sky news or bbc reporters outside dominic cummings house got any warning from the police unlikely oh no it's, it's, it's been a, a swarm an absolute swarm no social distancing whatsoever uh, yeah. i i it's extra it's just wonderful irony what's going on <laughs> there um why did you start this up uh, what, what actually got you interested politically in this way i mean because you, you do very particular thing. You you do reports to camera and, and you, you know, you're quite, you know, outspoken. You're quite strong about your views or what, uh, what you think. Um, you know, that tends to imply that you're quite passionate about it. So, so therefore, when, where did it come from? I mean, when did you, why did you start? Yeah, so a, a very short summary. Um, my background is Persian. I was actually born in Iran. Uh, my mother was a political refugee. A proper one, not one of the fake ones. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, came here afterwards when she was approved and everything. And uh, so obviously, I've raised here. I've been raised here. The so I, I always knew. I always compared the two systems uh, as I grew up. Uh, so I was already interested in current affairs anyway. Uh, kind of uh, embracing the new, uh, the new home that we've had with my mother, uh, the freedoms that we have been given. Uh, so I was obviously grateful for that. And uh, then I got involved in politics with the Tory party and, you know, the Brexit and everything. And uh, that was generally kind of my passion. And then I kind of stopped because I was like, I had a normal job. Uh, one day, basically, uh, my father is actually still in Iran and uh, also some friends and family. They got into trouble and then they, they actually said that I've been banned from entering Iran. I'm not allowed to go back. And I was like, I wasn't even planning to go there. Why would I even think about going to Iran? So I got angry for some reason. I was you know, younger, well, two years ago. And uh, so I, I made a random video on Facebook uh, to the camera talking about that. That went slightly viral. My friend said, do more of these. So I just started doing some random videos about freedom, capitalism, free speech, 
uh, and then it just started from there. But then Brexit happened, um, yeah, as in like the, the actual negotiations. And when uh, Theresa May failed to deliver Brexit, uh, that was when I went full time with YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, got, I was concerned about the situation, and I knew that a lot of people have abandoned the mainstream media. They wanted a new place to go to for their uh, news and everything yeah. uh, and analysis. So I started that, and it went quite well. But I, I was reading before we spoke today. I was reading about uh, there was a piece, an interview you did some years ago in the Guardian. This would have been yeah. this would have been about uh, five years ago, in fact. Uh, yeah. You you had you had a pretty you had a pretty tough time from people, didn't you? Uh, for being well, I think you call yourself a, a classic liberal conservative, right? Yes, uh, yeah, I'm a classical liberal, kind of libertarian leaning conservative, uh, but more conservative than libertarian. <laughs> and, oh, okay. Uh, uh, and uh, but that, that's not Tory; that's just conservative. Uh, and <laughs> um, so yeah, I've received abuse and things like that. But uh, one time outside Tory conference, um, I was walking with two friends, uh, two other Tories, and then there were protesters shouting at us. And one of them shouted at me, saying that you can't be a Tory; you're not white; you're brown; you're Uncle Tom, or whatever. And I, these sort of things don't work on me. I, I can't get bullied, especially verbally. It doesn't really work. I, I just like laugh it up. Uh, so I just like you know turn around, smile. Yeah. But then Nick Robinson was there from the BBC, a journalist. They started tweeting the incident. And then half an hour later, I had Sky News in my face trying to make turn me into a victim. How do you feel about that you know, incident? Uh, so I just you know, I was like, you know, it's just some idiot who was protesting for badges. I don't really care. And mm -hmm. um, so, I've, yeah, I've been attacked a number of times um, for just being a brown Tory. Yeah. Um, and, uh, especially or a here. Apparently, I betrayed my generation. So, all right. Um, okay. Well, we've all done it. <laughs> we've all done it. <laughs> Are you? Um, have you ever thought of standing? I mean, does does sort of electoral politics interest you at all? No, no, I, I, no. In, in the words of Boris Johnson, I'd rather die in a ditch. <laughs> all right. Really? Why? Why? Probably a bad thing to say because if this is like obviously it's going to be saved and recorded and years from now if I stand they were like one day you said oh <laughs> <laughs> no because when I first got involved uh, that was kind of that I thought that's the only route um, as an as an activist as a party member I thought well I mean I'm in politics so I have to become an MP uh, uh, yeah I have a number of issues with the, the political parties especially the main political parties uh, the way they operate because uh, they're very centralized you won't you you won't really have a your, your own say is there's no self-determination you would just be a part of a number and uh i'm, I'm too out, outspoken to that i don't do yeah. teamwork so <laughs> uh, that's one issue and also it's just yeah it's not effective um but never say never i mean i i am i've always been passionate about uh london uh so you never know in the future if the opportunity comes there's a lot of subscribers on youtube that i have who keep calling for me to stand for mayor of london oh, next right. year okay Okay. Because my name is Maya, it will be Maya Maya. No, that would be great because I mean, you know, the guy we got at the moment. I'm on the London Assembly, you know, uh, the guy we got at the moment uh, is not great. Um, <laughs> but in fact, you know, I think someone new, entirely new, new face would be fantastic if you wanted to stand. But London, I mean, obviously you're a Londoner like I am. Uh, I went into central London. You're, you live in central London. I went into central London last week just for the first time for ages just to walk around. And uh, walking around the centre of London, you think, what is the future actually going to be for a service economy city like London with, uh, you know, basically 
facing what could be, well, actually, almost a depression. Uh, I mean, am I being too pessimistic, do you think? Or No, no, not really. Um, yeah, because usually I'm, I'm the eternal optimist, and uh, that's why a lot of people follow my channel, because you know, I always kind of spread the positivity. But uh, we always have to be also realistic. And uh, with someone like Sadiq Khan as a mayor of London, and with what we're going through, yeah. especially over the next you know, couple of years uh, and few years, he's, he's the danger, because I don't trust him to be in charge of London and the, the economy in London. Uh, and uh, he's going to probably come up with some more interventionist policies that would actually backfire mm. in order to help business. It's just going to make it worse. And uh, my problem is the opposition is uh, Sean Bailey, the Tory candidate. And uh, he's a nice guy. You know, and I, I know him quite well. I just don't think he's strong enough uh, to uh, beat Sadiq Khan. And uh, London is tribal. It's always been tribal. And but doesn't mean that uh, you know a non left winger could uh, well we would never win. And I'm not just going to use Boris as an example, um, but you know because the turnout, as you know, the turnout in London elections are quite low. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if 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 the if the non the anti city Khan voters, if you get them out, you could beat him. Yeah. So yeah. if it's a Tory candidate or an independent candidate, even an independent candidate could actually win in London. Mm. Uh, it's just you just need a proper campaign. Yes. And uh, basically, like a Donald Trump-style 2016 campaign, just go out crazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that if you were to create some kind of platform, I mean, you know, even if it were a new sort of campaign party or something, you know, then I think, actually, you know, there's something really there. Because I think that perhaps the conservative label, conservative party yeah. label, won't be too useful uh useful to you but i think that generally in the you say you're worried about steep calm but i think that the way things have gone particularly with the virus um it worries me usually that basically london economically will just simply fall apart i mean you know regardless almost of the mayor yeah no no that's true because london has uh, changed massively uh not just economically like, I mean, economically there's been a lot of uh good changes over the last few decades uh, with technology and finance. Uh, but firstly, it relies way too much on finance, the finance sector. That's not good. Mm. Uh, secondly, the, the change in the, the culture and the look of the city in terms of uh, the behavior of mm. citizens. Uh, and I'm not just talking about people who come from abroad, mm. uh, but people who are just not from London. Obviously, a lot of people just move around. It's attracted um, a lot of people, and uh, this is mainly the millennial generation. Mm. All these young people who've uh, obviously moved to London, and they all live in either uh, Camden or Hackney or Clapham. Uh, and uh, these are the same people who are uh, very happy to be on, uh, to be furloughed right now, and they yeah. don't want to go back. Uh, so you know, whilst they are young and you know energetic and they want to do something, uh, I've met a lot of them. That not everybody is hardworking. Yeah, so. Yeah. More innovators. We need more people to create wealth in London. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, more sheep in London right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Politically, if you were standing, say, for this or anywhere else in the future, I know you're not going to, as you say, but just in case you do, um, how would you define yourself? You, you say classic liberal. Uh, are you a social conservative too, or you know, I mean, this is a, a tension at the yeah. moment in the Tory, you know, the Tory party. To all intents and purposes, it seems to have abandoned that side of things. Yep. I mean, would you would you say you were that or? Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not a Tory in that sense. Uh, the, the, well, not yeah, I'm not wet. No, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I, I, what I do, I usually uh, divide into three categories. 
economically, socially and culturally. Mm. Uh, the reason I do socially and culturally different separately is because uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, areas and topics where people just put them all into social. Mm. And they say, are oh, you socially liberal or conservative? But some of them are cultural. So economically, I'm very right-wing, uh, Thatcherite, free market, capitalism, uh, capitalism and uh, uh, socially, uh, well, culturally, I'm conservative. So I believe in uh, I believe in the flag. I believe in the queen. I believe in the country. I believe in borders, uh, strong security, law and order. Uh, so in that sense, I'm conservative, and the family values. Uh, but socially, and by socially, uh, I'm liberal or libertarian. Uh, by that, I'm just talking about individual liberty. Mm. Uh, you should be allowed to do whatever you want to do as long as you don't harm anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that, for me, that even technically includes, I know conservatives don't like it, but that even includes uh, cannabis. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, as long as you're not harming anyone, if you regulate it properly, uh, and uh, obviously, if the case changes, for example, if tomorrow you legalize cannabis and regulate it, and it, mm. that actually causes trouble and you know, people harm, people and obviously i'll change my mind and i'll actually make a u-turn and say Anna. but mm. uh, my view is as long as i don't harm anybody else you should be able to do whatever you want uh, but in terms of culturally uh, you have to protect the country because your country is your home you know you don't really keep your door open you know you have a door you have walls to protect your home and you have to protect the country mm. you sound you know like in the david goodhart uh analysis you know the anywheres and the somewheres you sound very much like uh somewhere uh you know you have a very strong sense of place um you know whereas london basically now seems to be entirely an anywhere anywhere city so i suppose yeah. as patriots we're quite unusual in london yeah it's uh <laughs> well london and new york these sort of places are fascinating um i understand why a lot of uh people in the countryside uh or like outside of london don't like London. Yeah, so, uh, yes, yeah. Because as a Londoner, as a city boy, I've always been a city boy. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I defend London as a as a city because it's beautiful. Obviously, it's a collection of villages. It's you know, great concept. But uh, but I also understand why people don't like it. And I, I I'm more comfortable uh, being outside London. I feel more comfortable going to a random village in Cornwall or you know somewhere in Yorkshire. Um, and uh, and it's happened many times because a lot of people in London, uh, especially young people, told me, um, you know, you should be liberal, you should be metropolitan, you, you, you're more comfortable here because you're brown, uh, it's diverse. And if you go outside, you know, people are racist, obviously, because they're all white. And in reality, I've been to, I've been to like a random village near Truro and in Cornwall and other places. Uh, and uh, yes, there are basically places where uh, the, the locals hardly ever seen someone who's not white. But the reaction that they had towards yeah. me, she was just like, oh, hello, nice to meet you. She didn't even care about my yeah. skin color. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. always mistake like this, the same thing with Brexit voters. You know, they yeah. say, oh, there's uh, little Englanders, they're all basically racist. No, it is, it's, you, just, you haven't seen them, you haven't met them. Have yeah. a chat with them. And then you'll see that, you know, they're just normal humans. <laughs> well, we are indeed. I mean, you know, the, uh, this thing that's happening at the moment, this COVID thing, do you think, you mentioned Brexit there, do you, do you think that this is a kind of, you know, rehash in some ways of the Brexit thing. You know, if you look at the people who are very pro, pro lockdown, they they tend to be remain a type. You know, not all, but I, I'm being very general. But you know what I mean, don't you? They it's, there seems to be this cultural divide now, pretty much entrenched. Yes, um, because uh, whilst 
there are different types of Brexiteers. You've got liberal free trade Brexiteers. You've got, uh, you have kind of protectionist or nationalist Brexiteers who you know, don't want trade, you know, some. And it's a bit of a mix. But putting that aside, the concept of uh, pro-EU, anti-EU was primarily between uh, subconsciously, without realizing, uh, on a psychological level, the pro-Brexit side, the anti-EU side, were more pro-freedom and more individualism. And the other side were statists. That's all it is. And uh, it, it's now transformed into the new lockdown, pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown. Uh, the people who are pro-lockdown are the statists. Mm. It's the same thing. Uh, so what Brexit's done, the, the 2016 referendum, it's just it's opened the door to this chaos of, uh, which is actually good, actually. And everyone's in the media complain about uh, how everything's so uh, tribal or divisive. It's a good thing, actually, because we, we can now see people in a more clear way and yeah. you know, their view, what they, where they stand. And so it, it's, it goes back to a, either the Anglo-Saxon mentality of uh, believing in uh, freedom, believing in, uh, obviously, law and order, but at the same time, questioning authority, which is our side, uh, versus the statists. You know, they used to be socialists, then they turn into liberals. And now they've turned into Remainers and they've turned into pro-lockdown people. It's the same people, just the labels keep changing. <laughs> They're a bunch of control freaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, Maya, if you do decide to throw your hat in the ring or whatever, uh, next year maybe, uh, you must come back and t t tell us all about your campaign. <laughs> Absolutely. If I decide to do that, I'm, I'm going to go in with a bang. Usually you go out with the bank, but I'm going with the bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, thank you very much for joining us. So it's, it's lovely to talk to you. Uh, thank you, sir. And, uh, yeah, we will talk again, I hope, in however, in whatever circumstances. So uh, thank thanks very much indeed. Uh, that's all for what you're saying is. So uh, see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.